Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm going to talk about Metallica's 1986 album, Master of Puppets. I remember first noticing Metallica right around the time this album was released. I thought the album cover was cool looking, with the hands in the sky pulling puppet strings over a field of crosses as grave markers, and the marble-looking font of the band's logo. I've always loved the original Metallica logo, and this album cover was colored mostly in red, so it stood out in the record shop. However, I didn't buy this album because I didn't know Metallica's music. They weren't on the radio and they didn't put out any music videos. And I didn't want to risk buying it and not liking it. Eventually, I borrowed the cassette of Master of Puppets from a friend. And I finally listened to it. And I didn't like it. At the time, I was waist-deep in glam metal and more traditional metal bands. And this stuff was too fast, too heavy, and I couldn't handle it. I gave the tape back and said, fuck this band. Skip ahead a couple of years and Metallica's stock was rising and rising. If you were a metal fan, you couldn't ignore Metallica, who are one of the leaders of a musical movement called Thrash Metal that was quickly dethroning glam and all other types of metal from the top of the heap. The band was landing support slots on higher-profile tours, and there was a sense that their next album could really break them big. That album was And Justice For All, and for the first time Metallica released a music video for the song One, The video was heavily hyped by MTV. This was a really big deal. And for reasons I may never understand, that song just clicked with me as soon as I heard it. The massive MTV exposure kept one in rotation, so I was continually exposed to it. And by then my sister Shannon had caught on, and I'd gotten the Justice album. She let me borrow it, and bang, I was hooked immediately. The only way I can explain it is that I guess I was just ready to receive the music at that point. I soon bought all of Metallica's albums. And Justice for All, Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, and Master of Puppets. And I quickly became a massive Metallica fan. Now I'll give you some basic album facts about Master of Puppets, brought to you by Wikipedia. I wiki, you wiki, we all wiki. Master of Puppets is the third studio album by American heavy metal band Metallica, released on March 3rd, 1986 on Elektra Records. It was produced by Fleming Rasmussen and was recorded from September 1st to December 27th, 1985 at Sweet Silence Studios, Copenhagen, Denmark. It reached number 29 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified six times platinum by the RIAA. Next, I'll go into the band's lineup card. We have James Hetfield, lead vocals and rhythm guitar. Kirk Hammett on lead guitar. Cliff Burton bass guitar and backing vocals, and Lars Ulrich on the drums. It's time now to go into a track-by-track review of the album. The opening track is Battery, written by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich.
It begins with an acoustic guitar intro that sounds somewhat weird or discordant, but still interesting, building layers with classical-style soloing over the top. Then the big electric chords slam in, leading into the tune's fast-picked main riff, and then blast off, it becomes a blazing thrash metal tune, with James barking out the rage-filled lyrics that seem to be about just plugging into the music and letting it set your anger free, crushing anything in your path. There's a brief, slower section that feels like the song is just getting charged up before it explodes again and Kirk Hammett rips into a frenzied solo. Kirk Hammett, the quiet, easygoing member of Metallica. He joined the band in a flurry immediately after Dave Mustaine, the previously guitarist, was fired right before Metallica was set to record its debut album, Kill Em All. Dave went on, of course, to form Megadeth and made it his mission to destroy Metallica for letting him go, but that's a whole other story I'm not getting into here. As for Kirk, I think he's a very good lead guitar player, though I do think at times it sounds like he's either not inspired or relies on a standard bag of tricks too often, resulting in a kind of sameness to his playing. Sometimes I get the impression he's playing it safe, but when he's on, he's capable of some awesome lead runs, and overall I feel he's a solid and valuable contributor to the music. Now back to Battery! Throughout the track, the pace never lets up, and I totally dig the choppy riff that ends the solo section and the song itself later on. This is a major Metallica track, and without question one of my very favorite songs the band ever came up with. As an album opener, it stands as one of the band's very best, and I fucking love this song to death. And speaking of major Metallica songs, the next track is the title track, Master of Puppets, written by the entire band. Holy shitballs, Batman. It comes right in, letting you know it's here with a tight, abrupt, descending riff. Then it goes into a very fast down-pick riff, courtesy of James Hetfield, who is known as an amazing rhythm guitarist with one of the best right hands in all of metal. When the beat comes in, it settles into an unusual rhythm, keeping your ear engaged through the verses, as James more shouts than sings the dark lyrics, which are from the point of view of drugs and how they can control the user, leading to the destruction of the individual. Drugs become the master as addiction settles in and the user grows more and more powerless. The pre-chorus brings another cool riff, and I love James' vocal delivery, then master, master. The chorus comes in and you get pulled right along with it. Another verse-chorus section, and the master echoes into a slowed-down passage with an excellent melodic guitar solo played by James Hetfield, including a harmony guitar with it. The bridge section comes next, where James takes the viewpoint of the drug user, desperately lamenting how the drugs have ruined his life, and he understands this fact too late. Then the track speeds up again, and Kirk tears into a fast, shredding solo. There's yet another ascending-descending section that transitions the song back into a final verse and chorus. And as the song winds down, an eerie backwards guitar part is heard through the final laughing as the song fades out. It's quite a ride. The song is eight and a half minutes long and complex with numerous time signature changes, textures, and tempos, as much in line with a progressive rock song as it is a metal tune. This is another signature Metallica track. I'd go as far as to say it's the most important song in the band's catalog. 
It shows a level of sophistication in the writing and playing that took Metallica to the next level musically, yet it still kicks so much fucking ass. This is the band's most frequently played live song, although for a while there they were playing a shortened version of it that annoyed the shit out of me. In the context of this album, Master of Puppets, along with Battery, give the record an incredible start. We move on now to The Thing That Should Not Be, written by James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, and Kirk Hammett. This one has a slow, sludgy, heavy groove with down-tuned guitars and a Black Sabbath-type feel. The lyrics are inspired by the Cthulhu mythos by the writer H.P. Lovecraft, a universe where monster-like deities exist called the Great Old Ones, who once ruled the earth but have fallen into a death-like sleep. Cthulhu sleeps in the ocean, and the lyrics reflect that Cthulhu has awakened and is rising, bringing insanity to humankind. At least that's what I get from it, by doing a little research. The whole Lovecraft universe seems to be very involved and complicated, and other authors over the years have added to the mythos, and there's no fucking way I can understand it all at this point in time. Metallica referenced Cthulhu on their album prior to this one, Ride the Lightning, with the final instrumental track, The Call of Cthulhu, so they were already dabbling in this territory. This song does give you a sense of a monster lurking around and is a creepy, moody piece. Kirk plays a short, strange solo that fits the overall vibe, and I've always liked this track as a change of pace from how the record starts. Next up is Welcome Home Sanitarium, written by James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, and Kirk Hammett. starts with heavily processed single notes and harmonics, leading to a clean-picked arpeggiated riff that actually has two different time signatures in it. The tempo is a slowed-down ballad when the drums enter, and James sings softly at first as he describes a mental patient in an insane asylum who has been put there unjustly. It was inspired by the novel One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest by Ken Kesey, though I'd be willing to bet it was as much inspired by the movie of that novel starring Jack Nicholson. The music gets heavier in the choruses, with James asking to be left alone, and as the song progresses you can feel the energy rising in the music, and in James' voice. After the second chorus, the tempo increases as a new riff brings us to the bridge section, where James threatens mutiny against the sanitarium with possible murderous intentions. After that, the solo section allows Kirk to do his shredding thing, and then the band rides out the rest of the song with melodic guitar playing over the basic themes of the bridge section. This song follows the same pattern of the previous album's ballad, Fade to Black, and the album that came after this one, And Justice for All, had its own ballad, One, that was structured like this. Sanitarium is another standout track and a Metallica live staple. I totally dig it. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Disposable Heroes, written by James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, and Kirk Hammett. (laughs) 
This one comes crushing right out of the gate with a pounding intro and downpick riff that leads into another blazing fast thrash metal pace. The tempos frequently shift throughout the song as James barks out the lyrics, which concern a soldier whose life and fate is controlled by outside forces, by either his superiors or more ominously on a larger scale, the government. It takes a view that a soldier must obey orders without question, even if it's known that he most likely will die in battle. It's cynical and angry, and the music captures the mood perfectly with all the different riffs and tempo shifts. Now here's where I want to talk a little bit about Lars Ulrich. He's the most outgoing, most talkative member of Metallica, the band's mouthpiece, and he seems to be the spark plug that keeps the Metallica machine firing on all cylinders. As a drummer, a lot of metal fans feel that Lars has lesser ability than other drummers. And on the surface, that's probably true. But for all his limitations, Lars comes up with creative and interesting drum parts and has a major hand in arranging Metallica songs, which is no small task for an album like this one. Lars was the face of Metallica during the band's fight with Napster and illegal file sharing, and that damaged his and the band's reputations for quite a while, but eventually they were able to weather the storm and regain much of their lost ground. The bottom line is that Lars is crucial to Metallica, and without him, we don't get Master of Puppets, so I'm willing to cut him some slack. Back to Disposable Heroes. The bridge section reveals the internal conflicts of the soldier, who wonders why he must fight, but he's so conditioned to do his duty he acts almost mindlessly like a robot, as he has been molded by his superiors to do like he was made of clay, a dime a dozen, in short, disposable. Kirk plays one of his best solos on the album, and I love this track, one of Metallica's best deep cuts in their entire catalog. Continuing on, we get Leper Messiah, written by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Leper Messiah was lifted from a line in the David Bowie song Ziggy Stardust. In this song, the main riff has an off-kilter, syncopated feel to the beat that's unusual and interesting. It then settles into a mid-tempo rhythm, and the lyrics focus on religious preachers taking advantage of their followers' devotion for their own needs, whether it be for money or sex or whatever the preachers desire. This was an easy target for Metallica, as in the mid-80s, scandals concerning many popular televangelists erupted, and quite a few of them were taken down. Later, the song speeds up for the guitar solo and a chant of lie, 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 until it breaks down and the main riff is heard again before the song is abruptly ended. For me, I dig the song, but this is the one point in the album that doesn't quite grab me like the other tracks do. This is my least favorite song on the record, making Leper Messiah... Aaron Stinky Stinker. The penultimate track is Orion, written by Cliff Burton, James Hetfield, and Lars Ulrich. This is an eight-and-a-half-minute instrumental, which features the tremendous bass playing of Cliff Burton. Cliff was a monster player, 
often considered one of the great all-time metal bassists. His playing was fast and dexterous, often treating the bass like a lead instrument, yet he always was able to lock in with Lars to propel the rhythm forward. This song has Cliff all over it, a true showcase of his abilities and creativity. The tune mostly stays at a mid-tempo speed, with multiple sections and Cliff leading the way, whether he's playing a lead passage or holding down a solid bass line. Cliff arranged the middle section with its multiple guitar harmonies and, dare I say it, near-funky bass line. Cliff was respected within the band for his musical abilities and contributions and reputedly practiced on his bass up to six hours a day. His full potential, unfortunately, would never be realized, as while the band was on tour for this album in Sweden, Metallica's tour bus skidded on an icy road and rolled over. Cliff was thrown out a window, and the bus rolled over on top of him, crushing him to death. This sent shockwaves through the underground metal community and traumatized the rest of the band. Metallica decided to continue recruiting bassist Jason Newstead from the band Flotsam and Jetsam, but the shadow of Cliff loomed over them for quite some time to come. Clifford Lee Burton, rest in peace. But back to Orion. The tempo picks up a bit after the middle section. Kirk plays the obligatory solo, and the band ride out the groove as the song fades. In my opinion, this is Metallica's best instrumental and keeps the album's flow progressing excellently. And now we've come to the final track, Damage Incorporated, written by James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. This is a raging, furious thrash song, with lyrics that convey anger and violence towards someone or something, possibly the master of puppets themselves. The record overall thematically is about control, and the lack thereof one has, so maybe this song is an answer to that, rebelling against the puppet masters. Or I'm totally wrong, what do you think? I do love the line, fuck them all and fucking no regrets, and James spits out all the words with vitriol despair, except for the very end of the chorus where he whispers, damage incorporated. James Hetfield is the man. Responsible for most of Metallica's riffs and lyrics, James comes across in interviews as somewhat reserved, even aloof, and he is known to be intensely private in his personal life. But for all intents and purposes, he is the godfather of thrash metal, and without his influence, Metallica would not exist, and thrash might even have evolved differently. I've already talked about his guitar playing, and as a lyricist, he communicates his anger and worldview effectively, especially on Metallica's early records. I also dig his voice, which has evolved over the years from angry shouting to occasional melodic singing, and in the early years his vocal delivery became quite influential to the other thrash vocalists who followed in his wake. This track begins with reversed bass chords that fade in and then the song detonates into nuclear thrash fury. Metallica often likes to end its albums with a pulverizing thrasher, and this one is no exception. There's a brief bridge break in the middle, with a slower tempo and more snarling rage from James, And just like that, the song accelerates again through the lightning-fast guitar solo all the way through the final verse and chorus until the song slams to a breathless stop. I fucking love this track, and this record closes with a bang. So that completes the track by track. And now I'll go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the album rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine all the way down to a 0, which is a steaming piece of shit. 
Arguably, Metallica practically invented thrash metal, paving the way for countless other bands to quickly follow suit. But at the point in time when this album came out, thrash had been around a few years, but was strictly underground, a fringe movement compared to other styles of rock and metal that were popular at the time. This album got virtually no radio airplay, and there were no music videos for it, so it spread around by word of mouth and the band's constant touring. The year 1986 was a key moment in time for thrash metal. In addition to this record, Megadeth released Peace Sells But Who's Buying, and Slayer put out their seminal album Rain and Blood. Anthrax would release Among the Living just a year later, and all four of these albums would be considered one of each band's best, establishing the so-called Big Four of thrash metal. Though this isn't Metallica's most popular or best-selling album, and it's not my personal favorite, Master of Puppets, in my opinion, is the band's greatest achievement. It perfected the musical ideas and formulas they had been working on since the band's very beginning, and it brought a new level of sophistication to their writing, as well as a new level of tightness and precision in their playing. I firmly believe this is Metallica's masterpiece, and I give it an overwhelming five. After this record, the mainstream was beginning to take notice, and things would radically change for Metallica in a short amount of time. But here they were focused and young and hungry, and they were inspired to bring their very best to the table. Many people consider Master of Puppets to be the greatest heavy metal record of all time. And in 2016, the album was deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress and was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry. So five it is. I'd now like to give a shout out to a couple of podcasts that I enjoy listening to. There are a number of Metallica-centric podcasts out there, and I want to highlight my two favorites. The first is called Metal Up Your Podcast, hosted by Ethan Luck and Clint Wells, two professional musicians who love all things Metallica and talk about any and all subjects related to the band. They have great chemistry, and the show is always entertaining and informative. The second podcast is called Alpha Metallica, hosted by Tom Quee. This show breaks down the entire Metallica song catalog track by track in alphabetical order. Tom has a guest on each episode to talk about the song in question, and I'm honored to say I will be appearing on that podcast sometime in late 2018 to talk about the song One. If you are a fan of Metallica or have any interest in them at all, I cannot recommend these two podcasts highly enough. That's Metal Up Your Podcast and Alpha Metallica. Dig it. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on iTunes, so if you're an Apple user and you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it there. If you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. For you Android users, the podcast is available on Stitcher. You can leave comments and reviews there too, and I'll read your reviews on the show from there as well. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, which is another place where you can review the show, and there's a link to hear each podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email and we'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host a show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly... Here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later.
And then the master fades out at the end of the second chorus. Master! 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 Uh, yeah, that's a do-over.